Psalm 63. We're going to read the first three, or excuse me, the first eight verses. What I want you to hear is the language of David. I want you to hear the way he talks. And I want you to keep in mind that this guy cut off the head of a giant as a teenager. I want you to keep in mind that when he wanted to marry Saul's daughter, he asked for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines and he brought back 200. I want you to keep in mind that the reason David wasn't allowed to build the temple is God called him a bloody man of war. I want you to keep all that in mind, men, in particular. We are not talking about a Shakespearean actor with no calluses on his hands, drinking wine, and hanging out in coffee shops with berets on. Okay? We are talking about a guy that cuts heads off. And other parts. It's not in my notes. I just Psalm 63. O oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. So I have looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food. And my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of the night. For you have been my help and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. David, a bloody man of war, has just waxed poetic about his desire for God. He is in the wilderness of Judah. You, some of your Bibles will say that above Psalm 63. He is running for his life and he is talking to God saying in the very first verse, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. Like somebody in a dry and weary land where there is no water, I am desperate for you. You can never think, men in particular, women too, but men, you've got to hear this, you can never think that the desperation of your heart for God is a weak and feminine thing. Not when the guy who cuts heads off is saying it. God can so capture your heart, men and women, that you can talk this way and mean it. God can get a hold of your life in such a way that you don't have to say, well, I know I ought to and I know I should. But your heart instead is saying, I must have God. I must. And because that desire is there, you seek Him. With all of your heart, Jeremiah says, well, God says through the prophet Jeremiah, you will find me, and that day you seek for me with all your heart, you, you'll find me. When you seek me, 
with all of your heart. And the, the reason I'm, I'm pausing here at the end of my sermon, because you haven't heard the first part. I'm making the end the first part. We're going to come back to it. The reason I'm pausing here is I know because I live here on planet Earth with you, how far away this type of talk sounds. This Thursday at about 2 o'clock when you're wondering, why do I work here? When you're wondering, how can I get out of working here? Or why is this happening? When you're bored or when whatever it is you do, in the middle of just the mundane, or you're standing in line at Walmart listening to people complain and, and joining in with them. It's ridiculous there's not more people up here checking people out. Whatever it is that you're doing. When, when you're in traffic and somebody's just cut you off and all the thoughts that go through your head, because I've seen how to do it in movies, I could run them off the road, and I've had that fantasy more than a thousand times. Wherever you, we all live here, right? This idea of my soul thirsts for you seems so far away. Like this is the way. This how spiritual do you have to get? Do you have to go to some mountain in the wilderness to get this way? Or could I could I pray this prayer from my heart like David does? living in Huntington, West Virginia, working at, at whatever job you work at or raising your children or whatever it is you do, could this be real? And, and I'm here to tell you, yes. Yes, it can. And that God can do work in your life so that this seems natural. And every time you veer away from it, like the hymn that says, Lord, I'm wandering Prone to wandering, Lord, I feel it. Everybody know that hymn? That, that, the hymn writer was saying, yeah, I live here too. My heart wanders. But, but then I snap back to Psalm 63 type living because I know that's where it should be. You're never going to escape boring and mundane. I will say that up front. You're never going to escape frustration and pain. Let me say that up front. You're never going to escape trials and tribulations. Jesus guaranteed that you will have them. And yet, David, who is in the middle of a trial and tribulation in Psalm 63, is saying strange things. Your steadfast love is better than life. Those are incredible words if you just stop and think about them. And so, about a 25-year pursuit of my mind and my heart has been, how do I get these words off the page? How, how do I get the words off the page so it's not just another church service and not just another devotional reading and not just another thing that I know that I should, but here's how I really feel and act? How do, I, how do I get it off the page so that it uh, does something? And I'm going to talk about that this morning. But I'm also going to tell you up front, be careful. We are totally dependent on the Holy Spirit here. You can't ever think 
you're going to work yourself up into a spiritual frenzy. I mean, you can. I've done it. I can tell you all kinds of stories of trying to prove to God how serious I am. And your guilt organ, you know how you have an appendix that's not necessarily all that useful? They have to cut it out all the time. We've got a spiritual organ that is totally unuseful, and it's called the flesh, and it secretes out of this gland something called guilt when you become a Christian. You don't, this thing doesn't function properly until you become a Christian. Because when you're a sinner, you, you, you maybe feel guilt, but you don't really care. When you become a Christian, and all of a sudden it's like, I'm supposed to be a certain way, and you're not, this guilt gland just secretes all the time. And you're awash in it. Which is why you have to be reminded, we take communion. This is why, we, this is why you need to be here. Coming to church isn't so you can mark off the attendance sheet of heaven. Coming to church is meant to be a reminder that you're a part of the body of Christ. You're a saint in the kingdom of God. You've got stuff to do. Let's, let's do those things. Let's quit wallowing around in the guilt. Let's be active and let's grow and let's help other people and let's serve and honor God with all of our hearts. And you need the Holy Spirit to do this through you. So let me go to the beginning of the sermon. Part of our vision for 2023 is to be people of prayer. So we're going to tie that back in to Psalm 63. And I want us to go now to Matthew chapter 6. Verse 5. This is the section in the Sermon on the Mount where we find the Lord's Prayer, which I said before every basketball game in the King James, in the huddle, in football games. How many of you did that? How many of you did the Lord's Prayer uh, before you got started? I'm not sure that they let people do that now. But we used to. You've heard it a million times is my point. You've heard this before. But let's start with verse 5 to get the flavor of the sermon on the, on the mount and where I want us to focus today on prayer. So I started with the end, so let's go to the beginning of the sermon. Verse 5, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on, at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Hypocritical prayer wants an audience. Prayer that pleases God is focused on God and it's in secret pretty simple. Now, culturally, I've never seen too many Christians standing on the corner praying. The first century, that's not true. In the first century, they stood all over the place and prayed. Um, they, they wore their phylacteries, which was this thing on the front of their head. 
like it says in Deuteronomy, the, the frontlets, you'll keep it on there. They had the robes. They had all the, uh, the hypocrites loved to get all dressed up the right way and look the part. And they would go out on the street corners and they would pray. Typically, they kind of rocked back and forth. You see, you can look today in Jerusalem, the wailing walls. Anybody ever seen that? And you see the, the rabbis and the other, the Jewish people bringing their prayers and they're doing that rocking motion. It's just to create a rhythm in the words that they're saying. Um, and, and they did that so that uh, you knew that I'm, well, obviously, I mean, I'm praying again. Now, we don't do that. Nobody be offended, but I'm going to say it anyway. But we'll take 15 minutes setting up the right Instagram photo of me reading my Bible with a cup of coffee uh, to make sure everybody knows how blessed we are to be reading. And then we don't have time necessarily to read. We just needed to make sure we got the Bible open and got the picture and the light came in. Now, not any of us in here are doing that. But there are folks out there that do that. And if you've done it, just forgive me now. I'm not, make, I'm not saying that it's, you shouldn't. I'm just saying you don't need to seek an audience. Jesus said don't look for an audience. Okay? Now, if you wanted to post a scripture and say this scripture encouraged me today, now that'd be fine. But if you're looking for that right filter and everything else, you'll spend more time on the filter than you will on the Bible. And therein, well, to quote the mechanic, well, right there's your problem. So, but honestly, I was thinking about this. I was thinking, what, outside of this Instagram thing or social media, outside of that, this, that doesn't seem to be the big problem in our day because this is, this is somewhat cultural. But it does apply to anyone who wants to make sure they know how much, they want others to know how much they pray or they seek opportunities to appear spiritual at church or other places. I, and I, without giving a lot of detail, I remember being in high school and this guy who was a colossal, terrible person was asked to pray at a meal and he prayed for every bit of 10 minutes. And it was the most flowery prayer I've ever heard in my life. I don't even know. I'm not, at the time, I was like, I'm not sure I even understand what some of these words mean. So that would be an example of when that happened. You don't need to do that. Jesus is actually telling you, quit it. That's what Jesus is saying in these verses. Don't, don't be like that. Okay. Verse 7. And when you pray, and I'd like you to just take note at how natural and simple this is, you're, you're going to pray. When you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Empty prayers that are focused on the right words typically means that you're more concerned with what the prayer sounds like than what you're actually asking God for. Don't get trapped into using a bunch of words in some vain attempt to impress God. So I'm going to make a confession, everybody. Sometimes I struggle to pray to get the words out right. Have you ever started a prayer and then abandoned? 
abort, abort, I got to start over. Has anybody done this before? And you start, and then you trail off, and your brain goes over here, and then, like, this happens in the car a lot, and then I'm, five minutes later, I'm like, oh my gosh, I was, I was praying, and then I quit, and the reason I quit is I wasn't sure that I was saying it the right way. Is anybody, anybody am, I, am I the only person on planet Earth? Okay. Some of you are giving me a face like, well, I thought that was the, I was the only person. Now, I think this is a universal struggle of the mind, of, the, of us trapped in this temporary world we live in where we struggle to come up with the right things to say. Part of that is rooted, I believe, in my desire to make sure it's all perfect. Faith says, my Father knows what I need already. In fact, He knows every single detail in advance before I ask it. He knows what I need more clearly than what I think I need. Would you be willing to trust that God knows better than you? I remember asking, and I, there was a weird time in my life, very, you know, depression and anxiety out of just abnormal uh, thought I was losing my mind. It, it was terrible. I remember asking my dad, like, Dad, I, I, I had this conversation. I don't even know how to pray. I know what's wrong. I don't even know what to say. And, and we talked about this very subject. And what, what God is looking for and what Jesus is saying in verse 8, don't, don't be like them because... For your Father knows what you need. He already knows. The problem is, is I don't think that way up front before I pray. But Jesus is telling me, and he's telling you, this is how you're supposed to think every time you start praying. Okay, before I get all worked up over the right words, let me stop, breathe real quick, and remember Jesus said, your Father knows what you need before you ask. If I stop and step back and say, wait a second, He already knows. And sometimes, this is what I was going to say when talking with my dad, I would say, I don't even know what, I don't even know how I feel. I'm, I'm trying to find the words to define how I feel so my prayer can be authentic before the Lord. But I can't figure out how I feel. Has anybody else ever felt this? I don't even know how to define it. So I spend all my time trying to define how I feel. When you're sick, you just go to the doctor. Right? You don't... Well, if you get on WebMD, every one of you are dying by tomorrow. Right? Has anybody ever found themselves dead by, by virtue of WebMD? Because WebMD's got you dead. It may just be a cold, but you're dead. So that's because our worry and everything else kicks in. You, aside from WebMD, when you're sick or something is wrong and you know it, you just go to the doctor and let them define what you're feeling. They'll do blood tests and they'll do all these things and figure out and say, 
Okay, we know what's wrong with you. And we've got a medicine for that. Or we've got a surgery for that. God's better than a doctor. He knows every detail, emotional, spiritual, physical. You don't have to say, well, I'm like this because my aunt was like this, and my mom did this, and this thing happened with my dad, and this other time, and I had this hurt at church back in 1987, and if you put all that together and make this spiritual sandwich, this is probably why I feel the way I feel, I think. You spend all this time trying to define and classify and organize all of your problems, and Jesus just says, your Father knows what you need before you ask. So if you can go to him, no matter how complicated, I'm not belittling the complicated nature of the problems you have. Some problems are incredibly complicated. I'm just trying to boil it down to the simplicity of what Jesus is saying. When you go to him, you go to him knowing that he knows what you need. He knows how you got there. He knows where you are. He knows more clearly than you know. So you can go to him and say, you are the great physician of spirit, soul, and body, and I trust you. You know what I need. Now the odd thing is, he still wants you to pray. He still wants you to trust, and he still wants you to believe. In fact, it's not a want, it's a command. That's what we are to do as Christians. If he already knows, why do I need to pray? Let me give you the best answer I know how to give. Because the question would be, well, if God knows that I need this thing or this problem is going on, why doesn't he just fix it? Why do I have to pray? Why doesn't he just do it? If, if Jesus said he already knows... And that's the reason Jesus said that's why you don't need to pray big, fancy, flowery prayers. Then why doesn't he just do it? Has anybody had that question? You should have had that question. You haven't been living or being a Christian if you haven't had that question. If God already knows and he loves me, why doesn't he just do it? What I'm about to say can be life-changing. And I don't know how to, I, I'm just going to say it, but this, this helped me so much. I, don't, I cannot put into words how much this helped me. God uses means to accomplish his will. God uses people to accomplish his will. God uses events to accomplish his will. God can use movies and bumper stickers and t-shirts. God can use an overheard conversation in the next cubicle. God can use and does use anything. Some of you have experienced odd moments in your life where you know God spoke to you, helped you, did something through some random event or through a purposeful event, somebody in the church. Somebody spoke to you, somebody prayed over you, somebody talked to you, somebody shared an encouraging word, somebody said, listen to this sermon. Sometimes, and frequently, it's through the preaching of God's word. It's through 
coming to church and hearing the word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. You some way, but God is using something to do that. God doesn't come down in your bedroom and an angel shows up and says, all right, I've got the book of Brittany. Brittany, here's what I need you to do today. Not those socks, the brown ones. Not that outfit, this one. This is what Dan's going to do. Oh, yes, Dan, this is, what I, this is what I want you... That's not the way life works. I want it to work like that, don't you? I want God to function this way. This isn't the way he functions. He uses means to accomplish his will. Those means, the way he accomplishes his will, is frequently your prayer. Your prayer is the way God frequently accomplishes his will. God, th this is the life-changing thing for me. God prompts you to pray on the front end. He empowers your prayer by the Holy Spirit as you pray it. And then he accomplishes the prayer on the back end through his sovereign power. Your prayers are powerful in that they are connected to God. God is what makes prayer powerful, not you. And yet, show me a grandma or grandpa that's been praying for 20, 30, 40 years, and you will find a powerful prayer warrior, if you want to say that. Why are they that way? Because if God is using people to accomplish his will, the people that plug in all the time into this communication with God are the people that he uses a lot to accomplish his will. Which means you should say, I'm not praying enough. Not out of guilt, because your guilt gland is ready to go off, church. What I'm saying is going to cause your guilt gland to start, start secreting the guilt in a spreadsheet format that has all the hours you did pray versus all the hours you didn't pray. And all the hours you did pray is here at the top of the screen, and then you have to scroll for hours to get to the bottom of the spreadsheet for how many hours have spent in not prayer. I'm just, I work in an office. I can see that image really clear. If you've ever had a spreadsheet that you had to scroll through for an hour to get to the bottom of it, then you know exactly what I mean. Where's the information I need? Somewhere in the bottom third of the document. So that only makes sense to some of you. You're just comparing how much prayer you're doing versus how much you should do. And then you feel guilty. Then you try to use that, that little guilt gland as your motivation to do better next time. And it doesn't ever work, does it? Guilt just doesn't work as a motivator. Not very well. It's a temporary motivation. God uses your prayers to accomplish his will. One of the prayers that I think about is when Jesus said, pray to the Lord of the harvest that he would send laborers into his harvest. We've all heard that, right? The, the fields are white to harvest. Pray to the Lord of the harvest. The Lord of the harvest. The Lord of the harvest. He's in charge of the harvest. 
He's the king of the harvest. The field is his. For some reason, he wants Elisha to pray that there would be people go into his field to gather his harvest. Do you see what I'm getting at? You are the means that God uses to accomplish his will. God is going to accomplish all his will. When Jesus returns, not one millisecond of God's will will not have been accomplished. His will will be done. And he's going to use Daniel Wayne to pray to make it happen. I wouldn't have trusted Daniel with this responsibility. Got more amens out of that than anything. <laughs> Bow your heads. We're now. <laughs> he would have. I wouldn't have trusted me with it. Or you. I wouldn't have trusted it. But God is not trusting in us. God is empowering us to do it. Think of this. God's going to do what he wants and will accomplish his will, and yet the way he's doing it is through you. Now that's not to say that there are not testimonies coming out of the Middle East right now of massive Muslim conversions to Christ through dreams. Now you can do with that what you will. Because God can do that. But God's in charge of, of doing that. You and I are not in charge of God doing that. God's in charge of God doing that. And in our lives, what God wants us to do, Jesus says, your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. And I just wanted us to camp out there for a second and realize that a sovereign God is going to accomplish His will. If you believe that Jesus is coming back, then you believe that God's got a plan. He's got a moment that's spot on that Jesus is going to come and get his bride. And we're all headed there, and it may happen in our lifetime. It may not. Until he comes, we're supposed to be praying. Because the very next thing he says in verse 9, after he says, your father knows everything you need, is pray then like this. And then it goes right into the Lord's Prayer. But I want us to camp out just for a second on pray then like this. Whenever the Bible says then or therefore or because, it's whatever was before is really important. That is the grounds of the argument that Jesus is making to say here's why we're doing this. And right before he said, pray then like this, he said, don't pray like hypocrites. They just want to be seen. Don't be Mr. Spiritual. Do it in private. That's what Jesus said. And don't think that you'll be heard because you offer up big, long, uh, flowery prayers. That's not going to do anything. God already knows what you need. Pray then like this. So that means that when I enter into this prayer... I'm entering into the prayer knowing that God is in charge, he's the king of the universe, and he knows everything that I need. Do you see the way you're going into prayer? 
You're going into prayer that way. I'm not doing it so, so you all think I'm spiritual. I'm not doing it so people can hear what I'm doing. I'm not going to Facebook it so they can hear my prayer. I am doing it in private, and I'm doing it as unto the Lord, and I'm doing it knowing he already knows what I need. Now, with all of that information, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. That's how I pray. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And the King James tax on, for thine is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. It's not in the original manuscripts, but it sounds good. We'll talk about that at the end of Mark. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven. Let's break down this prayer. Oh, wow, it's almost time for us to go home. Okay. The very first verse in verse 9, Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy, separate be your name. This is worshipful. This is warm. Father, this is warmth. This isn't God of a thousand miles away. Please, I hope if I scream loud enough, you'll hear my prayer. This is Father. It's warm. And it's worshipful because we're approaching him saying, Holy or hallowed is your name. The way we go to God in prayer is to acknowledge who he is. A warm and loving Father who is to be revered and in awe of. He is God Almighty and our Heavenly Father. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're asking for God's kingdom to come and function here like it does in heaven and ultimately will in the future. We are asking with the same yearning and eagerness that we have for heaven. We want, Paul said, our mortality to be clothed with immortality. We are groaning within ourselves, Romans 8 says, desiring to have the completion of adoption and redemption, which is through Christ and which is the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. We are groaning within ourselves, waiting to get to heaven. We can't wait. And so this prayer is an echo of that. It's called the now and the not yet of the kingdom of God. We live now in the reality that we're born again, but not yet are we fully redeemed in the sense that our bodies are still a mess. Our brains are still a mess. We still have a flesh that wants to sin. But there's coming a day when there will be no desire for sin. None. It'll be gone. There'll be none. We can't even fathom what it will be like. It will be awesome. And our spirit yearns and we're groaning for that. And that's the way this prayer is worded. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I want to see the rule and the reign of Christ here. Lord, come, work, do your stuff here. That's what you're praying. You notice so far you haven't prayed about the annoying person in cubicle number two. 
You haven't prayed about the besetting sin that you have in your life. You haven't prayed about the cancer or your mom who's got this issue. You, you've not prayed for any of that yet. You've not said a word about those things. You've, you have come to God worshipful and warm. And you've come to him eager to see his will done on this earth as it is in heaven. Then, so this big grand portion of the prayer up front then goes right to where you are. Give us this day our daily bread. I don't know how simple he could have made it, but he, God already knows what I need. He already knows what I need. So when I pray this, I'm just saying, Lord, give me what I need today. That's what I'm saying. Something simple. I just need daily bread. And I'll, I want to say with this that there's a reason it's daily. Because we are supposed to be approaching him daily. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive me of my sin. Forgive the debts that I have against you, Lord. Now, when I was growing up, people preached against what they called a sin consciousness. We should be righteousness conscious. And I understand what those folks meant, but they were wrong. They're wrong in the sense that Jesus tells me to pray for forgiveness daily. Do you, do you know why? Not because you should be wallowing in the guilt of your sin, but you should be acknowledging the reality that you aren't perfect. And God's demand is perfection. And you know the perfection comes through the righteousness of Christ, but I fall short of it in the way I live. So I'm asking him, Lord, forgive me. My thoughts aren't perfect. My actions aren't perfect. I'm not, I'm not perfect. I'm not always, I'm not right. I sin. And then he tacks on, as we forgive our debtors because God is infinitely and eternally forgiving you his expectation is you got to let that grudge go you've got to let that bitterness go you've got to let that hurt go and this may be part of what you're praying for in the daily bread Lord I need help or in the next part lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil Lord I need help with the holiness in my life I need help with the way I live. I need help. I am struggling. And guess what? He knew that when you started praying. He knows exactly what's going on. So what you're doing now is you are submitting to him and saying, I need daily bread. I need forgiveness. I'm going to forgive those in the same way you've forgiven me. Lead me not into temptation. Deliver me from evil. I need help with the evil that surrounds me. I need help with the evil that's in me, the, the stuff that I do, that I don't want to do. Go read Romans 7. I, I, there's all this stuff going on in my life. I need help. And that's why this prayer, this simple prayer, encapsulates everything that you need to pray. It's almost liturgical, which is a fancy way of saying, here's a format a formality that we do on a regular basis all the time. If you have questions, ask Greg Hanna, who 
grew up in a liturgical church, and he could tell you, this is what our church did every Sunday, like clockwork. In fact, you could look at your watch and know what they're going to do. Some people think that's terrible, and I understand why. However, on the other hand, the patterns of our life define who we are. And all of us have patterns. And if you have biblical patterns and scriptural patterns, that's not bad. This is a liturgical style prayer that says, here's the format. And guess what? As you're praying this way, you may find yourself saying additional things like, Lord, you may focus on this forgiveness part tomorrow. And you may focus on the daily bread part the next day. And you may focus more on, Father, he's my Father. Holy is his name. You may focus on that. In fact, you're going to focus on that for eternity. So this prayer gives you a format to, to pray. So for 2023, we want to do lots of Bible reading and make the Word of God an emphasis in our life, and we want to be involved here in the church, and we want to pray. We want to pray. We want to make prayer a daily part of our life and praying in a way where we are submitted to a sovereign God that already knows what we need, and yet he still wants to use you to pray. We want to be warm and worshipful. We want to build a relationship with God, and this is where we do that. We want to be in all of his holiness and glory. We want to be eager and expectant for his kingdom to come in fullness. And we need to acknowledge our need for daily bread, forgiveness as we forgive, and holiness that comes with his help. And that brings us back to Psalm 63. Because that is a, that is a format of prayer. And then here is a prayer out of David's heart that we already read. Soul thirsting, flesh fainting, earnestly seeking. Your steadfast love is better than life. The reason I wanted to come back to this is to say, you are sitting here today at varying levels of spiritual life and growth. And I'm just going to tell you that if you will pray every day and seek God and ask Him for help, knowing that He knows what you need, you will find yourself in David's shoes in Psalm 63. If you start praying, you will find yourself in a world that you've never been in before where your heart starts opening up in a way that it's never done before to God. Now, there is a lot more that can be said about prayer than what I've just said. But in 2023, my, my, the vision for our church is Scripture, involvement, and prayer. We are not reinventing the wheel. We're just asking us to actually get up on the bicycle and pedal on the wheels that God's given rather than complaining about wheels in the garage that, and we don't go anywhere. So, pray. Recognize who knows what God will do. Who knows what he will do through your prayers? He's going to do something because that's the way he works. So, let's do it. We, we pray together, but this is something that has to be done 
on your own, in your own life. And if you don't get anything out of this, get out of this morning, get this. He already knows what you need this year. He already knows what's going on right now. And when you go to him in prayer, believing that and trusting in him, it is hard to say where he will take you. But he'll, he'll take you there. Let's all stand up. We're going to be dismissed. I could preach a sermon every Sunday in 2023 on prayer there, and not exhaust the topic. There is a lot on prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this year. Lord, again, I pray for the brokenhearted in this room. Lord, I pray you would heal them and bind up their wounds. God, I pray that you would restore. I pray that they would have hope. What we see today is temporary. God, help all of us to know that this morning. And Lord, whoever is watching online or whoever is here this morning that needed the front end of our service and the temporary nature of the life we live, I I thank you, Lord, that you are at work. And we rejoice in the power and the work of the Holy Spirit. Lord, be with us this week. Let us shine like lights. Let's be an example. And we thank you that you who are faithful will do it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You are officially dismissed. Next Sunday school, I'll see every single person next Sunday at 930.